Welcome to the Old Chats Pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way. With two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way. Welcome to episode 18. This is the Lioness Chat. Here we chat to Everton and England's Izzy Christensen about the highs and lows of being a professional footballer, the power of team bonding and how the women's game has developed. How you doing, mate, Ryan? Yeah, I'm not too bad. How are you? Mate, Liz looking good. Same here. God, it's tough, isn't it? Tempted to uh, give it a go yourself? We're going to wait. They won't go back if I do that. <laughs> just wearing caps, just wearing caps and letting it be. Yeah, you need a professional, don't you? Mate, this... Take care, take care of it. It still, it still freaks me out where like, I can go around, I see people with like fresh skin fades. I'm like, how are they getting that done? Yeah. Illegal. It, it must be. Tough. I see you, you've made house then. Yeah, yeah, been made. No more parents' curtains in the back. No, uh, no, no carpet in the bathroom, which has always been weird. <laughs> I've got, uh, yeah, have you seen, I'll give a little flick around. Hey, lovely. Jokes. The, um, how was the whole moving process during the pandemic? Any different? It was fine, really. It wasn't a, it wasn't a big thing. Um, kind of regret moving, well, I don't regret it, but could have done it maybe a, you know, a month later. Could have saved a bit more rent, but but that that place might not have been available. You have no idea. Yeah, it was. We got a, a very, we got a few hundred pounds off it, which was good. Nice. So who knows? But yeah, it's nice to be here. Nice man. Yeah, can we can just you know chat as long as we want. Um, but yeah, how are things are you? You right? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. I think I've all this one thing I've realised. Do you know when everyone asks how you are? I used to always say, not bad, thanks. What's the same as not bad? Good. Yeah. And I I, I can't remember. I, I listened. I think I listened to it on like a podcast last week. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. All my life I've said, like, not bad, like, not bad tar or something. Yeah. Because you say the neg- if you say the negative words in it, even if it's not that, you're still, you're thinking bad, aren't you? If you say to in a pitch, don't drop the ball, what Dropping are you thinking? Oh, fuck, yeah. Oh. The psychology. That's right. I did. I've done a whole article on it. Have you? Power positive language. Yeah, that's what. I'll send it on. I will. Yeah, it'll, it'll be. It'll be in the Google atmosphere somewhere from years ago about saying all of the uh, coaching comments you give. The, the Kiwi New Zealanders do it when they write things down, and, and it's just around the change room. It's it's never, you know, anything to do with negatives. It's all just what you will do. But it's just a little thing. Oh, wow. and, hey. They win a lot of games, so who am I to question their, they do. their methods? They do win a lot of games, unlike England. Unlike England, yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm very I'm very well. Nice. How are you feeling post, post the announcement of the roadmap? Um, hesitantly confident, but not expecting too much from it. Making, looking at just a few plans maybe for someone now. Get a few things. What are you saying? Hesitantly confident in the sense that you might, you think it might change. I don't think it. I was listening to. I don't know what podcast it was, but it was a. Um, they were talking about the policy itself and what what hasn't been said is. So they've got the the restrictions are lifted June twenty first for sort of going into places and doing stuff. Mm. I don't know what the policy will be on distancing, then, 
there's a bit there were a bit they didn't mention that side of it apparently that as much so when it comes to june 21st if you've still got a meter distancing in place you've still got a problem even if you can go wherever you want and do everything so who knows if that will be not worth worrying about too much but yeah i think there's a little bit of gray because i remember i read an article about people like on the tube and stuff or they'd still recommend you to wear a mask yeah. anyway yeah because i mean the tube dirty is like that's probably a good forwards. idea anyway yeah. to keep doing that but i think they just want to keep their option they're so worried about annoying everyone again like they did at christmas that they yeah. and i think it's a very safe bet what i think it will actually in reality it will be you know april i think when things get back to normal when i get, that's the, the, first when I get the haircut done that's normality for me without the great man couldn't agree more. Twelfth of April. That's what my target is. And then that's the that's the target to live to. Without that, it's uh, it's not not real, not normal yet. Yeah, I saw. I actually saw a funny meme when I think someone as part of the cabinet said, "Oh, this is like we're three 0 up in football terms in terms of like battling the coronavirus." Yeah. And then um, I saw someone tweet the video of uh, West Ham Spurs after <laughs> that when when Spurs were three 0 up beginning of the season, they went three 0 Very good. Uh, but yeah, it's quite funny. But yeah, I, I'm still like optimistic and I'm a little bit, I think I'm a tiny bit overwhelmed in the sense of when that announced, like I saw loads of mates putting in like, loads of holiday for that week of the 21st. It's like, I feel as if it's another thing where I'm doing this, like look at me kind of thing. Yeah. And it's like, I wanted, to, like, obviously I'll take it steady. I won't just go gung ho, but yeah, it's, it is a kind of a little bit overwhelming it in is. the sense that everyone just thinks it's going to be. It is, it is overwhelming, yeah. It's like, and it's social media side of it. It's going to be huge, I imagine, taking off at that time. I've seen loads of things like it's fresh as, fresh as week again for whole of England. Oh, God, yeah. Which is... Well, I saw people were trying, they're trying to get a bank holiday for 21st of June. Oh, right, so, yeah. That was like a petition. It's, just, so. it's going to be that anyway, I think, isn't it? I'm taking, I'll take a day off, I think. Right oh, yeah, I think, I think most as well. But, yeah, I just... Hopefully, we just don't descend into chaos because that could be mental if like the year is on. And but yeah, yeah, Czech Republic. We play the day after, apparently. Twenty second, yeah, Tuesday night. All right, yeah, Tuesday night, massive. Can't wait. Can't wait. Speaking of footballs, we've got first professional football. Yeah, big time. Biggest, biggest name we've had. You reckon so far? No disrespect to our previous guest, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> And also, to be fair, on the back of our last episode, like, thanks to Dr. Steph, like, that was obviously a great conversation. There's, a, there's such a massive, like, doctor community on social media. Like, the amount of people I was sharing and stuff, I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think both of us have always said that, like, any feedback's appreciated. But, right, let's get the show on the road. So, fact, uh, I'm going to list off our honours, and you're going to have to guess who it is. So, she has had 120 appearances, 26 goals, from Birmingham to Manchester City to Olympic Lyonnais and now Everton. She had 31 senior caps and five goals for England, including participating in the 2017 Euros. She's won a handful of trophies, including the Women's FA Cup, the Women's Continental Cup, Champions League at Lyon, the Sheebly's Cup at England, and massively, she was a PFA Women's Player of the Year in 2015 and 2016. Any clues? Any ideas of this? It must be Izzy Christensen. What a guess. And look, she's like, oh, fuck, you know, someone knows the women's football. Jesus Christ. Hello, Izzy. Hello, Hi, nice Izzy. to be with you. How do you two know each other? Sorry. First year of uni, blocked me. First night of uni. 
trying to do keep you up is at Gatecrasher at Birmingham. <laughs> That's when I saw star quality. And then we played a bit of red ass outside. With That's when I knew she was going to be something special. We're playing red ass outside the block. What, <laughs> what do you call red ass? What did you call red ass at school in London? What, how do you play it? I don't know. It's... So it jokes like headers and volleys, and then the losers gets her ass, and you ping. Oh, uh, just just bums. Bums. See. Bums. Bums. Yeah. Some people, some southern people call it batty whips. Batty you can whip. call it don- donkey as well. So you count out if you get you hit donkey in the letters. That's when you get the kick. And yeah, and now you're a superstar athlete and moving on to bigger and better things. What kind of teams were you were you up against at Birmingham? What kind of league was it? You played in the university like box league, so it was a pretty random like array of abilities that we faced up against. Obviously, Loughborough were the rivals being. The Birmingham Loughborough rivalry at uni at any sport level that was always fun. That game, uh, Northumbria were good, but yeah, I was obviously playing semi-professional with Birmingham City women at the time and England as well. Yeah. So a few nights out had to be uh, cut short because of training the next day and stuff like that. So, but now I was pretty lucky to be able to combine like the university lifestyle, meet meet the likes of of Mesh over here. As a, as a friend for life, I'd, oh. I'd class and it's going to be that stage that a lot of athletes don't really get that. So now it's obviously play, playing with a really random array of people in and out of my professional game was, was fun and a lot of people met along the way. Could you just tell us how you got into it then? And then, so you obviously got scouted before Birmingham, before university. When, when did you start kicking a ball around? Uh, so I've got an older brother, so a lot of female footballers will always say that the way they got into the game was with an older sibling. So, yeah, for me, it was, it was my older brother. I used to play with him and his mates. Uh, we grew up in a small village just outside Macclesfield, sort of South Manchester way. And, yeah, we used to just play out on the school pitches until it got dark. And I ended up getting scouted by Manchester United community coaching that came out that far to scout players. And they asked my uh, parents for the phone number of the Christiansons. And I actually only found this out last night when I was speaking to my mum that, my brother, who was also in the same training session as me, thought that Manchester United were asking him <laughs> for the Christiansen's number for him. But it was actually me. I went along for a trial and then, yeah, I played for Manchester United for nearly nine years, eight or nine years, uh, through the youth age group. So, yeah, the way I got into it was, was with my brother. Nice. And talking of your siblings, round of applause for Rosie fighting the pandemic in, uh, up in Scotland. <laughs> yep. I'll, I'll give she? a shout out. Yeah, she's good. She's she's just fighting the world one one day at a time, isn't she? So. That's off to her. Saving <laughs> the world. Whereas you're kicking a ball in the back of the net and getting paid about. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the priorities are not really in order at the moment. Let's just put it yeah, that way. So. When, you, when you were starting, though, before going back again, I'm guessing you always wanted to be a footballer when you were younger. And did you, were your family supportive and they were back you all the way? Well, it's funny because I actually said, I've said previously that I've actually like, never had the dream as a kid to be a pro footballer because I never knew it existed. Young girls now, they can kick a ball in the yard, they can kick a ball outside with their mates and they can aspire to be a professional footballer. But when I was a kid, we couldn't because there wasn't anyone that was professional. So we didn't have anything to look up to. So it was kind of the way it all sort of fell into place was it was kind of by chance, really. I was obviously good enough to play professionally and that's what happened. It wasn't like I was going after a dream. So... Yeah, everything kind of just slotted into place uh, just before I graduated. And I, I, that was my job. Like a lot of my friends went into, uni friends went into teaching. A lot of them went and chased dreams down in London, like Mesh. Still dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> a 
went and tried to live a big city life, but I was, uh, yeah, I was lucky that I kind of fell into football and got paid for it. And it kind of, it didn't really hit me until a couple of years into a professional footballer kind of lifestyle that I was actually like, this was my job. I kept thinking to myself, I need to do something else because obviously your time isn't always filled with playing football. You go and train for a few hours a day and then you're done. It's not really like a nine till five working day. It took me a lot of time to adjust to the transition of being like this was actually my job. <laughs> is, that when you, is that when you start getting into all those LucasAid adverts as well, is it? Yeah, like obviously with that comes loads of endorsements, sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It dragged into podcasts. It just fills the day up, really. <laughs> that you don't want to do, but you have to <laughs> tick the boxes. You left Birmingham, got your big money, moved to Man City. That was when that was when, that was when you started winning your trophies, didn't you? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, took a big jump to finish to move to Man City before I'd finished my degree. So that was quite challenging. I had like six months left and we all know the uh, the deadlines of getting a dissertation done before the exam start and things like that was, was quite a challenge when I spent the majority of my life on the M6 travelling to and from training. So that was uh, challenging. But yeah, Man City was the start of everything really. I went signed a professional contract there and everything started to kick on and I developed a lot there. I would probably say in my career I was a late developer and terms of getting my first England cap when I was 23, 24. I'd have to check that on Wikipedia. But yeah, uh, that was when everything sort of kicked off and I, I got moving with my career. Yeah, I feel as if this is all media training now. You've just listed all your questions and answers to this. Do you not have all your media training at work? Um, we do We do get media trained, yeah. We get some social media guidance. There's been a few outings and social media meetings where they've dug up posts uh, from... <laughs> from years ago of certain players that have done stuff which we thought at the time was acceptable but since signing professional contracts they, they there's like social media companies that dig into your Facebook and like some of the things that got put out into meetings in front of everyone like everyone was on the floor in stitches I don't even know if I can repeat that on here but I don't know what the uh, the parent guardian situation is with, with the podcast but um, there's no parent and guardians Okay, well, there's a. The, uh, I actually put a post on something. I put something about sheep shagging on my Facebook, and it got dug up by a social media company and brought up into a like a, a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> in at Man City. And uh, yeah, everyone was on the floor laughing, and I was just like, and they just sort of said it was from like 2011 or something, like it was years ago that I had no control over. But they said like people can like newspapers and companies can like find this and dig it up and bring it out in the press and we as footballers obviously in the limelight certainly not on the scale as a, men, a male counterpart but who like if Harry Maguire had put sheep shaggers on his Facebook I think he would have been outed by now on it so you kind of had to just go through all my old posts and delete <laughs> at one point and also the the old Louis van Gaal gate when you had the photo of yeah. you and Tony as Man City players photo of the Man United manager at the time Louis van Gaal and Football fans are the worst and the best on social media, but that was just such an innocuous photo of... Granted, you're rather team's manager, but that blew up, didn't it? That did blow up. I just remember the day after that, we'd been on a night out and we'd actually been in a Chinese restaurant that evening in Manchester and we'd seen Louis van Gaal in there and decided that it'd be fun to get a picture with him. But Louis van Gaal was actually out celebrating at the time as Manchester United manager after beating City in the derby that day. And us as City players, we were like, oh, wow, Louis van Gaal, we got a picture with him. And next, we, woke up, we woke up the next day slightly hungover 
we sat in the apartment and <laughs> every min- minute we had a different like message from like people saying like this is not acceptable it, it kind of it was just funny how the day like just declined rapidly and then we got called into a meeting and had to write a letter to apologize and... you had to write a letter fuck you know it's like being back at school <laughs> yeah yeah it was just the way the club dealt with it at the time but yeah it was quite I guess in hindsight funny but yeah at the time not, <laughs> not the right thing and I think that was a big learning curve for us all that what we're doing when we go out <laughs> people might recognize and they might notice who you are so shock like unfortunately it's still apparent now with the likes of like Karen Carney and Alex Scott when they get beaten down on social media when they say one wrong thing on live on tv it is pretty savage and it's just all like the social media abuse it's obviously not good for anyone or anyone's mental health how engaged are you with that? Is it you check? Are you on social media a lot? Because you've got a following, obviously, on Instagram. But are you are you big on everything else? Do you get involved in it and listen to it? Um, I'm obviously very aware that social media has its pluses and negatives. I've never really been one to get too engaged in it and too engrossed in it because I know that it can backfire. And I think that's just I don't think that's my education as such. I think it's just the way I've been brought up, like showing my mum some of my teammates or like players I've played with on on their Instagrams or something, my mum would just be like, what's she doing in that photo? And it sort of makes me think like, yeah, okay, it's just a photo. And you do leave yourself exposed to be judged um, by posting. It can be a dangerous world, but obviously it's got its benefits. And I think women's football especially has has grown because of the power of social media. The game's transitioned a lot and it all came with a social media impact. So I'm aware of it. Um, I don't get too engrossed in it, and I think that, but it can be damaging. There is quite a lot of press at the moment, obviously, with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and stuff like that, that. I think that people obviously are subject to a lot of abuse on it. So, it's, um, but I always think it's a choice. I think you post something, you leave yourself exposed, and then I don't understand at times why people moan because they're posting. Yeah, yeah. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's never, it's never like got you down, like personally. It's never really, it's just, it's what it is. It's just out there. Separate world. Yeah, I mean, there are times where, like, you'd feel like when I've had, if I've had a poor game or something, I think at City more so than anything, like if you had a poor game or consistently poor winner games, like people would start tweeting, like, and saying you shouldn't be in the England squad or, well, equally, if you're not in the squad, you should be. And there were things you can listen to, but at the end of the day, it takes a bit of time just to get to the thinking that the opinion of someone who you don't know doesn't actually matter to you. But yeah. it took me a bit of time to get to that. But I don't care what people post about me online, even if they want to. Like, I think I've just got that. I don't really care. But a lot of people they do care and they do sit and read comments, and that's their choice. But then my response to that is just don't read it. But yeah, well, with England, we just—I mean, press. You know, even before social media, with, with sport, we're just—we're awful. We're like up there with like you know Australia, and they—they they can be pretty bad with their teams, but. You know, '98 and Beckham, and you can just go through players where, even pre-social media, because it's all in newspaper. Everyone's just looking in the newspaper. It's in some ways it's worse because it's all centralised in that one spot. Whereas in social media, it can kind of be spread out yeah. a bit more. It's good you've got to that point though, where you know you don't care about people's opinions. Just, uh, but away from the social media side, obviously, and professional, and the pressure, you know, your performance and. And how you uh, approach it? Have you always kind of put pressure on your performance every time you play? Like, how do you handle a defeat? You get really up for a win. Just like, what kind of personality are you in in the change room? I think that I've transitioned 
in terms of my personality and, and games and, and pressure and stuff over the years, I think the last sort of six, seven years, there was a time when I was at City, when I first joined City, no pressure. I was flying, kind of. And then I won PFA Player of the Year. And then with that, I felt like there came a ton of pressure. And where does that come from? Is that just you feeling I need to hit these standards every time? or? It, yeah, it, it, after a lot of reflection at the time, you don't know it. But after reflecting a lot, it came from myself. But it, I was thinking maybe it was coming from externally, but maybe it wasn't. But it was coming from myself, as in pressure to go and do it again. That's the biggest individual award that you can win in the English. Yeah. In English, yeah. Yeah, and I think I just remember at the time, my coach telling me well done and then me telling him, yeah, but it means nothing unless I do it again next year type thing. Yeah. But like a player would rarely win a back-to-back PFA trophy, regardless of how well you're doing. So that that was definitely internal pressure. I think that there's been pressure. Like when I went to Leon, I felt pressure because I know that they paid a lot of money for me. And that was all kind of like the figure that they paid for me was public. And I kind of felt pressure on that. And that was something you don't really deal with. When you're in talks with the club, you don't think, oh, I, I, what, can I go there and like carry the weight of a price tag with me and live up to it? That doesn't really cross your mind until you get there. When I got there, yeah. I was like, oh, oh God, I do actually have to live up to this and I have to do really well. And I think I put pressure on myself for that reason as well. What was the Leon's uh, coaching team? What was their approach to that when you came in? Did they say anything about that or did they just crack on? And- no, it's massive case of crack on um they they they've got a history in the women's game for like signing like big players and signing and paying a lot of money for players so for them it was were they were they not were they not available when you came <laughs> they just have to no for, for context leon leon ladies are like what like the galacticos were with real madrid aren't they like they've won bought back-to-back champions league when you arrived yeah, they, um, it's like an expectation every year that they win the Champions League. It's non-negotiable. The president, he's a dual president of the men and the women of the club and he's got he's got this pretty successful business model that's worked and he's got a very unique setup there in terms of endorsement sponsorship into the women's game. So it's very impressive what he's done and what he's doing. And then com- what comes with that is pressure. Um, and I was joining this team full of Galacticos and I definitely have star quality are definitely good enough to be there but I couldn't really piece all the bits together and just perform and relax I felt a lot of pressure and I struggled to settle off the pitch as well and I think that those sort those things all put into one big kind of bowl didn't really help me fulfill my potential there so yeah it was but then you come away from that environment so I've come back to Everton and now I've realized that so I wouldn't have been able to tell you that two years ago and of course now I feel like I'm probably playing with the least amount of pressure that I've ever felt because I'm well, somewhat playing in a team with not high expectations, but a team that's striving to be at the top. Takes a little, it'll take a while to get there, but it's kind of like you can just try and try and if you fail, at least you've tried sort of thing. So that was sort of where we was at Man City when I was there as well. Like We were a team striving to be at the top and I helped us get there. And then that's when I moved on because the biggest club in the world came knocking and I took, took that route. So in terms of pressure, it's always come from within. I've never really felt my family don't put pressure on me. Um, in, in fact, they've probably been racking their brains over the years of trying to find ways to take it off me. But it's hard because they, they're they not professional athletes themselves. Um, how, how have they approached that just from just a parenting point? Um, well, they've always been there for me, no matter what, like good and bad. Like they're not soft with me. They tell me how it is. I told my mum 
2019, just before, well, just after the World Cup selection came out and didn't make the squad, I told her what to give up. And like, I genuinely like meant it. I said, I don't want to play football anymore. And she stood there and she said, like, whatever you choose to do, we'll support you sort of thing. So it wasn't a case of like pressure either way. It was just, she want, she just wanted me to be happy. And I think any parent will agree that, well, I'm not a parent, but they want their children to be happy and sport takes you up and down a lot. So I think it, for a parent, it's probably even harder like to, to live that journey because you don't know, you're probably scared at times about saying the wrong thing or, but yeah. I think they're in a good place now with me and vice versa in terms of the support that I get. And I mean, I think they are getting frustrated at watching me at the moment or us at Everton at the moment, because we should be doing better than what we are. But I'm a bit more like, instead of getting frustrated about it, I'm a bit more like, yeah, like it'll be all right. We'll be okay. Like we'll trust the process and things like that. So that's maturity as well. That's just maturity from your experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've, you've played for two of the biggest, biggest women's teams out there, Man City and Leon. And you're obviously going to have pressure as you get along. But what do you see your biggest personal achievement is um, in, in football at the moment, at, right now? The, the PFA player of the year. I remember, I remember that photo. The trophy is probably Bigger double the size of you. And then who who won the male equivalent? Was it Morris? Yeah. There's a photo of you two together. I was like, she's made it. This is it. <laughs> this is what I saw, this potential back in the day of Freshers Week. <laughs> I was there at work, be like, that's my mate, that's my mate. <laughs> Living off your glory. I bet Mesh was the one trying to drag you out when you needed to just focus <laughs> on the game. <laughs> just like, You'll be fine, just come out. To be fair, she had unbelievable sacrifices and work ethic at uni. Like we, weren't, we weren't in the quietest of blocks and she'd be yeah. probably going to sleep with her earplugs in. Yep, at times. And I think that, like I said, I don't think I would have changed that. I mean... I lived a university lifestyle as well as there were obviously a lot of decisions to be made during the week. Like on a Wednesday, we all know how good a books day is. You play and then you go out. A home guild night is uh, one of the best nights ever. Mesh would agree. And obviously like having to like leave there early because you've got training the next day or strength and conditioning at 7am because whoever made up the S&C timetable, I don't know what went through their heads, but I remember the Thursday morning, 7am S&C. And there was always considerably less numbers in those sessions than there was on a Tuesday morning, 7am SNC. And it was sort of like, I remember thinking at the time, it's like a choice. Like you either make the choice to go or you don't. And I think that at 10 o'clock, I would be looking at my phone, looking at the time, going, I better go home. Everyone's starting to get rowdy about 10-ish. Right, and I have to go home. So. And that honestly, died. from my perspective and the time of knowing you, like, that was one of the biggest things I respect about you, like your sacrifice and willpower. I'd be fucking 10 Jager bombs deep by then. I had no chance. Even just looking at back her far, I was like, you could tell you had your head switched on at such a, like, 18, 19. It's, it's tough, but like I said, I kind of felt like I still lived a good life. Like, I met obviously some amazing people yeah. at uni and people that I'll know for life. And I think a lot of professional athletes will agree that it's quite a lonely place at times in terms of... Yeah especially if you're in an individual sport, it's hard to meet people. So I actually like the fact that I've met some really good people and now I'm a pro. It's kind of all kind of aligned itself with where the women's game, well, when the women's game turned professional, it kind of transitioned into it. But a lot of people now, like girls who are 18 now who might be starting to go to uni won't be going because they could be professional footballers. They'll miss out on the exposure to that. 
that I had. So it's just all t- timing. And you also again. you also talk about some of the best nights of books. I think we had a better night at Wembley, which is all oh. which is all relevant. <laughs> so you have, yeah, you've made some sacrifices, but it's all worth it for things at the end. So James, we went very fortunate. Is he invited us, or we came to watch you at the FA Cup final at Wembley? And when you've got one of you like your good mates. Playing at home in football, you're like, fucking hell, this is ridiculous. Like, it sounds obviously, we're like, we're mates, it's like, and you know this, your friends celebrate with you and are always there for you when stuff is like shit is the fan. Talking of, talking of shit is the fan, so the fact that Izzy scored in the final, I missed it because I was on the number two on the toilet, and I'll never forget this. This is like one of the biggest, the biggest regrets of my life. I'll always remember. <laughs> So, boy, was it a Saturday, three o'clock kickoff? I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. I went to the gym in the morning, came home, I was like, shit, I'm going to be late here. Chugged a protein shake, got to the game, soaked up the atmosphere, sung a bit of Blue Moon, come to sit down. I think, is he scored, what, scored halfway through the first half, maybe? Like 17 yeah. minutes. All right. And then, oh, someone remembers. And then I went to, I was like, oh, I need the toilet. And this is the only time I've ever had to have like a number two in any sporting occasion. And to be fair, if you've got to do it, do it at Wembley. Because I'll never forget, I was there and you can hear like things on the in the toilets. And I showed this Christian set. And in my head, I was like, why are they showing highlights of previous like games towards the FA Cup during the game? I was like, I never expected them to have the commentary on in the toilets. I went down and she just fucking banged in a half volley from like 20 yards. I was like, oh, for God's sake. And then we had an unbelievable <laughs> night. That must have been a great heart. Do you, were you drinking out of the cup and ever, were you with the team? Surely you're not. Surely they wouldn't let you come along with the whole team celebration. Oh, that's where you're wrong. Where did you go afterwards? <laughs> Is it you go? You go. You can tell the story if um, you remember it. Well, basically, I mean, we weren't going to be too arrogant and think we were going to win the final. So we didn't arrange anything. We didn't have a party or celebration planned because we didn't know what was going to happen. But the bus actually went back to Manchester and those who wanted to stay in London could. A few people had hotels booked around like Wembley, like there's a shopping complex and a few bars and stuff nearby. We ended up in this bar. Mesh, Lewis, who else was there? My sister was there. Ash and James. They came to join us, me and about eight or nine of my teammates and their like mates and families. And we were in this bar and the people that ran this bar just gave us the Orcs lead we got hold of it and we just put all like the old classics like Tina Turner, like pin what else was that? It was just like the best playlist you could ever imagine. Like we were drinking. Uh, we just, we just had the best night ever. And like, obviously to share it with like mesh and then like my sister, her mates, like it was, and obviously my teammates, it was just like, it just turned out to be one of those nights that the whole kind of cliche, the best nights are the ones that you don't plan. And yeah, it was like what till three, four in the morning, and then we were all like, "Oh, like <laughs> we had to, we had to get home somehow or get somewhere because we didn't have anywhere booked." But I mean, yeah, it's kind of ironic that you were there. Obviously, the times that I'd had to sacrifice, like not coming out with you guys, and then you were all there to enjoy the moment with us, and we just ended up having the best night ever. So that no, was obviously memories for life. And you've one. got professional footballers factor, England's nationals. Chanting, you're just a fat Zay Malik to you. I think you know you've made it at one because <laughs> I kept messing up the aux cable because it was a dodgy aux cable, so the music kept coming off. Yeah, wow, that was a pretty good time.
but obviously euphoric man city got this unbelievable deal to go to leon it's tricky in anything mm. you move to another country forget playing for the best team at the time it's always gonna be a lot of pressure and it's gonna be difficult it all kind of came to head a bit in 2019 didn't it with your injury playing for england yeah i mean long story short i was away with england not in a good headspace not feeling good not really in condition at all and then was about to score a goal against japan and then planted my foot broke my leg hurt my ankle and then there was like going to be a race to get fit for the world cup which was touch and go i was doing really well with my rehab but it was never going to be enough realistically and uh, yeah i got the call to say i wasn't in the squad for the world cup and i've been working towards this for years and everything just yeah. like came crashing but then ended up going to the world cup but doing the media side of the thing doing work working for the BBC and a bit work for Sky. So it all kind of flipped on its head. But uh, yeah. And then I went back to Leon after that summer and then was flying and then um, didn't really get much of a look in with the new coach, even though I was doing really well. It was frustrating. And off, off the back of that year, I just wanted to be playing every week. So I went to Everton, um, which was actually like a really exciting move in some respects. And it has been. We've been, we've been great. But obviously everything was really interrupted by the pandemic last year in March when we went into lockdown. So um, it's been it's been one hell of a, a road, bumpy and loads of change and chopping. But I've got my feet on the ground with Everton and I've just signed a new contract with them. So I know where I'm going to be for the next two and a half years and everything seems good. So, yeah, just looking ahead now and taking the pressure off myself and looking forward, really. When you, uh, when you went out to do a bit of the media side for the World Cup, did you find... That was actually sort of a nice distraction, or did you actually feel a bit? I really wish I was doing this more than if you just stayed stayed away from it, maybe. Um, well, it was interesting because when I originally got asked, I said no. I got approached to say to, to work for BBC and do coverage because I think it, it looks quite good from a, a broadcasting company if somebody uh, somewhat controversial is doing the punditry. Like, for example, I, I wasn't necessarily controversial, but I was obviously devastated not to have been picked. So it might have been interesting for them to have my outlook on things. And the time when they asked me, I was like, no, categoric, no. And then they asked again, and then I thought about it, and I actually got told to think about it by my agent. And so I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, why not? And it's actually funny because my family, had, like, growing up, I don't know why, but for some reason they've said to me, oh, you'll be the next Gabby Logan sort of thing. But this was, this was before I was a pro footballer, and it's always been in the back of their heads that some of my, my auntie, my uncle would say to me, oh, you'd be a great sports presenter and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sort of like, yeah, 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 okay, good, cool. But actually, like, I seemed to, like, do really well at it. I wasn't presenting, but I was just doing punditry or co-coms. And I was doing really well, and I was doing that well. They just kept offering me more work when I was there. It was like, right, can you do the semi-final? And then it was like, right, we want you to co-com the final. And I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. It doesn't get much bigger than this. I was sat there next to John Murray co-coming the uh, the World Cup final. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, this is just so surreal. Like, I wanted to be on that pitch, but I'm actually up in the stands with a microphone. Yeah. Like, why, why do you think it was? Why do you think you were getting picked? Do you think you were just telling it as it is and just be like, nah, she's rubbish. <laughs> she, she'll do this, she'll be good. I don't know. Like, I wasn't being like, I, don't, I didn't have anything to like strive for. Like, if you go onto the pitch as a midfielder, right, you go into the game, attacking the field, you go into the game thinking, right, I need to score or assist a goal today. And that's a successful day. I need to have a positive impact on the game, like in, a, in an attacking sense. But going into that, I didn't have any expectation. I was just saying what I thought. 
and I was actually giving some good insight. And I would say I'd, I'm quite smart, as in I know the game tactically and technically really well, and I can give good kind of insight. And I just was doing that, but with no kind of, I wasn't trying to be anything. I wasn't trying to be Gabby Logan. I wasn't trying to be, I was just being me in front of the mic. And yeah, and yeah. since then, I kind of have been on like a, a kind of unofficial contract with the BBC, the media trained and working with them closely and doing a bit of work been doing I've done a few Mark Chapman like build-up shows uh to like a soccer Saturday uh, type thing recently I've done a few Wednesday night Champions League games covering it on five live so it's all been pretty fun and it's just funny how things all kind of happen but yeah I've made it really clear that I'm pretty committed to my on-pitch stuff at the moment <laughs> yeah but future career you think yeah hopefully it's great how you can obviously flip that negative into a positive like a lot of people once have got injured have just been like I don't want to see football for at least a few months here they're just how was your headspace obviously getting injured missing out the World Cup I know a lot of us three on this call have always used exercise as a way of improving our mental health but like how did you how were you mentally at that point and if you've got something that helps your mental health that gets taken away you just think the world can crash down don't you yeah well this was when I was at my mum's and I was off uh, it was the off season and they got a call saying, you're not going. And this is when I said to her, I don't want to play anymore. Let's give up. And I remember exactly where I stood when I said that. But you're right. It's sometimes you don't know the answer to why something might slip a uh, switch in your head. But I was actually watching this film the other day about a guy who broke his back playing American football. And he's just released an, a film about it. It's called Seven Yard. And he was in hospital. He'd broken his back. He was paralysed. He was quadriplegic. And it was his about his journey to recovery and basically his objective was to walk and collect his graduation and then he'd to walk his wife down the aisle or his fiance. Um, but it, he's an athlete and obviously his career came to an end because of this. And there was a woman that came to visit him in hospital. She might have been um, she might have worked in the hospital, I can't remember on the film, but she said to him that she looked in his eyes and said, I believe you'll you'll get to where you want to be, which was to walk down at the graduation stage. And he had his family telling him that. He had his girlfriend telling him that. He had his his American football mate telling him, oh, we believe in you, you're going to do it. But sometimes it takes 150 people to tell you they believe in you, but then the 151st would be the one who actually helps you switch. Yeah. It's just sometimes it's just like a click in your head. And I was like, when I was watching this film, I was like, that's so relatable because for me, the, the switch was somebody telling me, oh, you should do the media work. You should have a go at it. It's nothing to lose sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, actually, you're right. And then I did it. And it was actually great. And I think sometimes it can be relatable to anything, but it might just be one person who believes in you who you might not even know. It might be a next-door neighbour saying, oh, you played really well yesterday, but you didn't think you did. And then you'd be like, okay, maybe I did. It can come from unlikely sources. And that's why I think it's really good to talk to people. Like, if you know them or don't know them, like, talk to this person and check out the supermarket. Get a different perspective on it. Just be kind, yeah. Yeah. How are your teammates with, obviously, because you got injured in that and then someone's going to take your place and there's always, it's obviously fiercely competitive, right, at that level. We talked on the in the show in the past about we don't probably want to give too much away. Sometimes you want to, you, you might not wish that person luck or, you know, if it's a very competitive environment, how, how have you found that in your professional career? Is it very friendly, positive discussions going on or is it a bit quiet and everyone's keeping their cards close to their chest sort of thing I'd say 
I'll be really honest here. I'd say it's probably the latter. Um, I didn't feel very well supported by my teammates or a certain few at that time. But then the funny thing was the person who I think, I mean, only the coach will ever know, but who selected that squad, the person who took my place was actually one of my best friends. And I know she's been through hell and back with like injuries. She lost her brother um, earlier on in her career. She wears like number 37 because that's the number that her brother used to play because he used to play professional football for York City. So like, I know what she's been through. So for me, I was wishing her luck. I wanted her to do well. And I was sort of, I can't be a dick about it. Like, and I didn't even think to be a dick about it. It was more like, actually like, this this is one hell of an opportunity for her. But then it would be arrogant of me to think that she took my place, like because yeah. it wasn't never my place to have. It was all about selection. So I think it's just you have to flip your thinking and you have to think about things. And I think it's a very individual team sport. But what I've learned is that you can't focus too much on what other people are doing, whether you like what they're doing or whether they're not, because you're in a team sport. You have to do your best. And then hopefully that's enough. And I always think the best way to change people is to lead by example. And obviously then in women's sport, especially it's hard because dynamics are a lot different, I think, to men's sport. Men's sport, like if you two play on the same rugby team and you don't pass each other the ball regularly, but you think you're on as an option, like you just hammer each other and you'd be like, pass it. Like in women's football, it's not as well received mm. having difficult conversations. And it's something which you have to really delve into and work on. And it is quite draining. Um, people don't like to be told and people don't like to receive bad information. So I think that in women's sport, a lot of coaches, if you spoke to coaches, I think they would definitely tell you that it's the dynamics are much different in women's sport to deal with people. Um, I think as well as without going into any detail, I think hormonally it's different. You're dealing with like, you know, like 20, 24 women every day and our coaches five-year-old guy like yeah, yeah can you imagine how he must think sometimes like if he says one thing it might throw someone yeah. I, I just think there is there is a lot of things to think about and I think again that just comes with experience and maturity that I'm a bit more aware now that how things work and you can't I think we more specifically at Everton we're a new team we've got a lot of new players that have come in from around the world since sort of the summer last year They've come into this country in the middle of a pandemic, into a pandemic which is in a really bad place. We haven't been able to do any type of team bonding. We haven't been able to go out for a drink together. We haven't been able to go out for dinner together. We haven't been able to go paintballing. We haven't been able to go bowling. You know, all the generic team building things that you do. So we're actually just going into training every day on site, minimal time as possible. Yeah. And then go home, back to a lockdown house we're getting aggy with each other on the training pitch or on a match pitch about things which we might not know how to deal with because we don't know that individual. So I think, again, it comes back to what you just said. You kind of have to just assume that everyone's having a rough time in the way that you talk to them because you don't know how what you say might affect someone. So I think talking about the whole kind of, you know, it's just like you don't want to rock the boat unless you know how the boat can be rocked sort of thing. Yeah. And then how did coach, in your experience, then the coaching setup, then how did they set themselves up to get the, the best results, do you think, from 
a women's team if it is different from a men's team, as you say, with that side of it? I think there's two different things there. I think the first one is how do you set up a women's team to be successful, number one? How do you do it to be successful in the middle of a pandemic is number two. I think it's... Yeah, it's it's difficult. And I think the challenges with the coaches at the moment are coming from designing training sessions which challenge you physically, mentally, tactically, technically, but to expose you to weaknesses as a team so that you have to talk it out and grow. And today's a superb example. We did a six three six on a massive pitch. It's like rugby sevens type pitch, like type of game, like massive open space. So if someone wasn't running, they were they were messing the team up. And then you get frustrated. And then you tell people why, why they're not running and it, it exposes you. But make that pitch smaller and you don't uh, have yeah. those problems. So it, it's actually funny. This is what I wrote my dissertation on, like differentiation in PA. How do you get the best out of what you've got? Like if you've got two girls on the team who, who are shy, how do you get them integrated? It's... It's, I, I don't envy a coach's task, but I think at a professional game, yeah. it needs to be a bit more apparent that everyone's goal is to win because you're playing for results. You're not playing to develop. So I think that's what needs to be understood more in women's football is that you should be able to have difficult conversations because it's not personal. It's about winning. Yeah, and that you don't have to be made to... That that's the, not the point to win. It, it's just a place of work, isn't it? You just yeah. The results aren't always based on you being made. They're just you've got to get along and do the job. Oh, you can. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. It's interesting you say that, though. The Sia Khaleesi, so South African rugby captain, when they won the World Cup in 2019, he's on Jake Humphrey's podcast. And he basically talks about how him and the coach, uh, Rainy Erasmus, they basically built a team upon emotion. So they got to know every single individual. So there's one winger, Mampipi, who's like, he had no family. His parents have all died and stuff. And the more they got to know everyone in their team, made them realise that, Rugby is obviously a big part of their life, but there's wider issues within their family, within South Africa in general, which are a lot bigger than rugby. And they just kind of realised that let's build a team on emotion and provide for those people that aren't obviously as professional. And granted, like South Africa is obviously a unique country. They were like building a culture of getting to know any player that came into the team, like their family, their background, which obviously if you're mates off the pitch, you're going to be mates on it, aren't you? Yeah. And I think that there's no obligation to be mates with your teammates because you are in there by accident it's but I was actually listening to a podcast with Casper Schmeichel the other day which I highly recommend on the high performance podcast with Jake that's what that's what Sikalisa was on yeah yeah and he says he he basically laid down his 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 grave and said I'm gonna win the Premier League and this was like 10 years ago and obviously people looked at him and went that's like that's not funny but then his dad told him we'll start telling people your goals and they'll become real so he then went around telling people in interviews his mates his teammates like we're gonna win the Premier League like it started to become like infectious and then he said he got asked in the podcast about why do you think you were successful or how do you get a successful team and he said you know what like the best way to get to know your teammates is to have a drink with them yeah 100% yeah and he said like cut the crap you can do a flipping escape room forced fun but just like sit down and have a beer and get to know people and he was like that's how well I'm saying that's how Leicester won the league but he said if you've got people like that that just understand that principle in a team 
you then got Casper Schmeichel inviting his mates out to the pub or having a drink. And all of a sudden, you start to build a bit of rapport. They said one of the biggest parts of that year winning the title was their Christmas party when they went to Copenhagen. They all went to Copenhagen, did fancy dress. So Wes Morgan was dressed as Pac-Man. And like Cashmere Michael was like dictating it because obviously he's from Copenhagen. And he was like, that was what made you realise that we're actually going to do something here. Because everyone was mates. And it just built, really? that was a foundation of just an unbelievable yeah. year. You do hear those, they, they, behind every really successful team, they'll talk about like a bonding thing of off course, the pitch yeah. where, where they just knew that that was, the, like I was watching, we, we spoke about the cricket, um, the edge, was a mesh, yeah, yeah, a few months ago. And they kind of, you ask each of them, they all kind of knew there was a moment when they went, they were dropped in the forest in Russia, you know, just away from everything. And then that was the day they did it. Did you, do you, have you been on that kind of trip with your teammates? I mean, guess obviously it feels like a long way from those kind of days with COVID. But. It does. It feels a long way from those that we're currently in now, but I've been in teams before. It's actually one of my dad's best mates has got a um, outdoor adventure business and he's got like 30 odd canoes in his back garden. And I got in contact with him and I got in contact with the club at the time, Man City. And I said, like, I know someone who can organise a team building day for us. And then Man City were brilliant. They paid for it. Um, we all drove. I said to everyone, drive to this postcode. We all drove to this lake uh, outside Manchester. And Peter and his team met us there. And he took us onto the lake in like half of us were on kayaks, half of us were on Canadian canoes. And it was quite a nice day. And then all of a sudden from nowhere, like literally came from nowhere, it's, it was a thunderstorm. Like we were stuck out on the middle of this lake and like we had people like like to- Mesh, Tony Duggan was on the canoe. Like Tony's Tony's from like the heart of Liverpool. Like she's very well uh she's very well presented. She's very well presented. She's obviously got eyelashes done, everything. Like she's she's her in the middle of a, a murky lake with in a thunderstorm in a canoe. Like you got you got no choice other than you need help. Like obviously everyone was screaming, like people were trying people were messing around trying to sink each other's canoes, like which actually isn't like that funny because <laughs> that's dangerous. But obviously Peter and his team pretty well equipped to deal with any of like messing around like that. But the girls were messing around, they were trying to sink each other, they were pushing each other off. And then you've got this rain coming down and everyone trying to get back into shore and navigate canoes and teamwork and Canadian canoes, which way do you put the oars? And all of a sudden everyone was just like completely out of the comfort zone. Yeah. And then that actually, like, everyone got inside, got dried off, got the canoes in, sat in this room. And, like, honestly, like, I felt quite proud because I'd organised it and I know Peter really well. Like, like it was funny because <laughs> when we got to this place, like, just rewind back to the start, Peter, this is kind of shy bloke, one of my dad's mates, he sat in this room in front of 25 girls, women, ages between 18 and 29, I would say, at the time. And he's yeah. gone, right, today you're going to get wet. And obviously everyone's like, way, ha, ha, ha. Like, <laughs> and then I'm sat there in the corner, full well, that he's my dad's mate. And I'm like, oh, my God, wh- which way is this one going? Like, And then obviously we've got, to win that room back. we've got back into the room after. And then obviously, like, everyone's just, like, buzzing with adrenaline. Everyone's had a great time. And then I remember we actually went on and played a game that weekend and we actually won 5-0 like we were flying and that was the year that we began to be successful so I'm not saying it was because of the canoeing but it helps <laughs> yeah yeah so if, if anyone's team's ever in turmoil go go canoeing during a thunderstorm exactly yeah 
Hopefully it gets sorted out. Well, that's just, just, yeah. just strength and adversity, isn't it? Like when shit hits the fan, it's sink or swim, isn't it? You just... See what you did there. Yeah, that's very quick. I actually thought that quite quickly. Um, you didn't mean that, did you? Did maybe you? I did. I can't, I can't tell. Maybe you obviously, didn't. you didn't go to the World Cup, Liz, but you went to the Euros in 2017. Obviously, massive. That's like a huge international yeah. stage. Obviously, played for England. Played in the Netherlands. That was obviously must have been great, the whole tournament. Yeah, amazing. Um, I loved it, but it's obviously, I think, in terms of results-wise, we were disappointed. We, we underachieved. Um, but it was kind of, it was a great was experience. Semi-finals? Losing semi-finals? Semi-finals, we lost to Holland, the Ghosts. Yeah, yeah I still got loads of frustration <laughs> inside of me about that because we, we probably should have won that tournament on paper, but felt like we were, yeah, we didn't quite deliver in the semi-final and obviously, but yeah, I mean, major tournament at senior level, like one experience. Lovely. Yeah, I wouldn't beat yourself up too much, mate. You just It's just the fact we're English, mate. This always happens. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Put down to that. Still great, like the fact you played the international tournament. What, how old are you then? 24, 25? 25. Yeah. Right. Unbelievable achievement. I know yeah. you were annoyed that you didn't play as much as you wanted to, but that's a whole 23-woman squad. Yeah. Yeah, again, that's just the nature of it. Like, I think in professional sport now, you kind of have to be pretty uh, open-minded that you will be in a squad of at least 20 good players yeah so you have to fight every day what is a day like on those tri- those um tournaments when you get when you get to like how much is training how much is just time off depends on the schedule really when when the games are um it's, it's quite intense in terms of prep the unique thing about that tournament in holland was there was no traveling because holland's not a particularly big country like normally in a major tournament you travel around and that kills time and you move into the hotel, but yeah. we actually had the same hotel the whole three and a half weeks. So I guess that was good, but in a way it kind of wasn't because it didn't really feel like we were at a tournament at times because part of being at a tournament, travelling. So, But the days sometimes, like, the coach at the time, Mark Sampson, he was very good at giving players time to switch off. So he was really keen on us heading out into the city, getting a coffee, getting an ice cream or whatever, and enjoying the culture. We stayed in Utrecht, which was a pretty cool city. So, yeah, he was really big on us kind of bonding and going out with our families and meeting. So I think that was good. But I would sometimes question whether we had too much downtime and we didn't have enough focus time because the games are pretty much you play a game, you recover, you prepare for the next one. And I think in between that, you can't be training all the time. So hindsight's a wonderful thing, I guess. Are you saying there's too much downtime because you met me and George? Go watch me and... We ordered you a pint of water. We were, even, fuck, we were about 10 Heineken's deep, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Sounds like, Mitchie, your, your holidays are planned around. Is it, and she drinks water and you just get hammered each time. There's a, I'm not even joking. We were, we were about to sign off to go to Leon and then Izzy unfortunately broke a leg. Ah, I don't think that's one thing you realise. Like obviously, your mate's so proud of you. But even, even when like, going to the games and watching you, like, you probably don't say it, but you're generally so proud of like, seeing you do what you do and like as a sacrifice. And I remember... Me and George, obviously, went to go watch you over the weekend, went to the game, and then we're in like, the office meeting the, the following week after. And don't get me wrong, like, we all have holiday blues, but I have like a big, unhelpful thinking habit of like, comparing despairing. So obviously, I was in the office, and I was like, like I've just watched one of my good mates playing fucking international tournament. Like, <laughs> that is unbelievable. But obviously, like, I'm never going to not compare my life to yours. It was like, you obviously, I've seen how much you like, used to sacrifice, and it's so great to see that. 
Oh, don't cry, mate. Fucking hell. Oh, I'm not crying. It's just nice, isn't it? Just be nice. That's a, a nice emotional <laughs> pause. Like, it was just a nice... Nothing more. And I know that. in professional sports, obviously, you don't... It's tough to give yourself a pat on the back, but you definitely deserve to points. Always. <laughs> Thanks. Dishing out all the compliments tonight. Just because we're trying to get some more guests on and you're pretty well connected, <laughs> so... Honestly, the requests are going to be flying in with the with an ego boost like this. Uh, hopefully, if you plug us on social media, I reckon we'll go viral. We'll be we'll be knocking Peter Crouch podcast off. That's why I've been really careful with what I've said. No, I think you've been very open about. Yeah, open and honest. Things. There's no point in not being. If this podcast can help someone else, then then great. Yeah, exactly. What's your thoughts now on the state then of the women's game from from when you started to to someone who's 16, 17, 18, getting into it now. Do you still keep, do you still monitor that side of the game? Are you, I know the term like role model probably gets thrown into like every female player, but do you feel that way with your, with your place in the game now? Younger players? I'm saying you're old, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think that's not like, yeah. but yeah, sorry. I think the game, there's obviously a huge amount of credit needs to be given to the progression of the game. Um, everything is a process it takes a long time there's always that hidden comparison with the men's game you've got stadiums that are 40 50,000 people full women's game divide that by 10 and you'd be lucky like it's it's obviously at a place where it's growing but I think it's also at a place now if I'm really honest that's quite fragile I think you've got an increased social media presence which I think could damage a lot of the work that's been done in the last sort of six or seven years so I think we as players have a responsibility to be role models uh, to to be professional and to play our, the game to the best of our ability I think that's important I think but equally I think authorities above us as players clubs authorities league management etc have a responsibility to professionalize the league even more so I think something I'd call for is well I'm sure a lot of my teammates would agree and, and league or the players in the league that the pitches need to improve it's all well and good having a good look at league from the outside but if games are being called off because of wet pitches because of frozen pitches because uh, they couldn't get an alternative option I think that's when a huge kind of dent comes into the the reputation that's been built. So I think there's a big challenge there to increase the professionalism of the league um, alongside what we as players are doing to professionalise the game as well. And on the coaching side of things, because so you mentioned you might get into the media side and talk about it, compared to the amount of male coaches that are obviously still in the women's game and the amount of female coaches coming through, What's your what's your thoughts on that? Is that going in the right direction? Do you think, or is it still won't be done? That? So this again is another very topical um, question. I think for me, my opinion, you might ask somebody and get different answer, but my opinion is the best person should get the job, whether that's the referee, whether that's a coach, whether that's someone in parliament, whoever, it should be the best person for the job. And I think that I wouldn't necessarily feel. I would hope that there isn't an obligation from people appointing jobs that there's an obligation to have a female in a role because they're female to tick a box. I think it should be. And I think right. there are there are many female role models 
the working women's football, Emma Hayes, Hope Powell, both current managers of WSL teams, I think they are both leading by by example in terms of their thoughts and their views on things. They would never ever want, I think Emma Hayes recently being linked with the AFC Wimbledon job, the way that she she crushed that kind of comment. I think was very professional and, and obviously very right of her. And in doing that, she actually probably increased the attention onto women in sport subconsciously, but not in a forced way. Right. I think she yeah. was quite smart and actually she just gave a really honest response. And I think Hope Howell did the same in an interview when she was asked about it. I think that um, th- those, those two women that work in sport, I think are, are leading by example. And I think that the more people like that that are being at the forefront of, our, of the media of the game, I think the better because their opinions are invaluable for the growth. Well, I'd like to have thought you've listened to a few episodes, so you might know actually what's going to happen. But have you got a coin factor? I've got other one. Um, I don't have a coin. So if we if we all trust Meshi to call this fair, then do, do we? I trust, between, yeah. Do you mean? Okay. Well, calling her heads. Uh, heads. Sorry, I'll do it again. Heads. You can tell from his face. That I could have lost. lied. I could have lied. You thought about it. If looking across your face for a minute, you thought. I could Before lie. I start, actually, did you ever have to do the initiation song in any of your teams? Me? What would you do? What was your song? Everton was, I think, Uncle Cracker, Follow Me. That's a great song. Could you see, could you see your oh, first? Hold on. Actually, the, the, the coin was tails, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually. Um, no, the, coin, like, the coin is the coin. You, you won't go oh. to sleep tonight, Mesh, if you lie like that. Yes, I will. As this is episode 18, 80 is my lucky number, I'm going to sing my go-to karaoke song. Making my way downtown, walking fast, pace is fast, and I'm homebound. Staring blankly ahead, making my way, making my way through my crowd. And I need you, and I miss you, and now I wonder if I could fall into the sky. Do you think time will pass me by? Because oh, you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you tonight. I messed up a couple of words there, and I think I might have got... Although on the front nice. got talent, I could have got an ex-early doors, but I saved it. I like to think at the end. Yeah, you'd get canned first round, for sure. Yeah. That was, was awesome. It was great, though. Love Thanks for listening. Please follow and share us on Instagram and Twitter at AllChatsPod with a space.